This is the SaaS Brand Strategy Show. My name is Ryan Copperud. That there is Dustin Robertson. And that right over there is Mike Tracy. Uh, gentlemen, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. How are you? Awesome. <clears throat> really good, really good. Good, good. Uh, okay, we were just discussing our theme song, or the fact that we don't have a theme song, or the fact that the theme song we have is a royalty-free theme song for reasons that are probably uh, relatively easy to understand. But I got to know right now, Mike, if you had to pick one song, Dustin, if you had to pick one song, laws aside that we could open with for the SaaS Brand Strategy Show, what do you open I don't with? know. That is, that is super hard because I will overthink this, but... Um... <laughs> Just to keep it simple, uh, uh, you know, Fugazi in the waiting room could be good because I feel like I'm always in the waiting room, <clears throat> but um, just from Zoom culture. But I don't know if that's appropriate or not, but that's just the thing that pops in. That's been in my head anyway. So All right. yeah. I dig it. Um, I dig it. I think I would want to put more thought into it, but um, I would just do sabotage just because that riff is so catchy right out of the gate. And we're only going to play like 30 seconds of it. So yeah. It's like, all right, we're not here to go to sleep. We're here to kick some ass and sabotage. I like it. You're, you're factoring in production value of the clip. I like it. Mike's was more message focused. I like it. Yeah. I'm going to, uh, off top, I'm doing, uh, I'm doing the run DMC Aerosmith walk this way. Cause we're trying to get people to walk this way. <laughs> there you oh, go. Damn. A couple different like reasons. <laughs> Walk okay. like, like we it. walk like we want you to walk, and also come on over and check out DRMG. I mean, honestly, I would like to switch it up all the time, and like maybe each week we pick one. So if we can figure out legally how to share musicians that we think are awesome, because we're literally not trying to make money off their work, just trying to share their genius and big fans of music in general yep. and musicians for that matter. Yeah, and I love that you picked Fugazi because we have a Fugazi. Oh, there you go. Concert yeah. poster in the background for people subconsciously already planted in my brain. Yeah, there it is. There it is. Good job. Uh, well, speaking of subconscious things, I picked uh, Run DMC and Aerosmith without thinking about the fact that that is uh, the very definition of a collaboration, and a collaboration is the subject of today's podcast. So, uh, collabs, that, <laughs> collabs. It's a different you call kind that a of collaboration, hook? but we are talking about collabs today. <laughs> we what, are. what is that called? What, what did do you, you mean? just do there? That was was that a hook or was that a transfer? What is that called? Segway. Uh, Segway. Okay. Segway. Something like that. Um, we're, we're, we are getting professional here at the DRMG <laughs> SaaS Brand Strategy Show. We have segues. We're, we're, we're just all pro all the time. All pro all the time. Yeah. All right. If we, if we um, haven't lost all the listeners, we should get to the topic. Collaborations. <laughs> collaboration. So we're talking collaboration today. Um, as, as folks who have been inside of organizations and outside of organizations looking in, um, this this topic of collaboration is a thing that we run into a lot and we see it done in a lot of different ways and we see it done in what i would say are both good ways and not so good ways and um and i think we also see that um collaboration done correctly is a huge boon to the success of a business the success of any strategy and so we figured today would be a good day to talk just about collaboration as a concept and about what it's like to overdo it or underdo it or do it just right. And so uh, so the first question that I kind of have uh, that I want to poke at a little bit is, um, you know, off mic before we, before we uh, hit record, Mike, you were talking about 
this being sort of a cultural thing, this concept of collaboration, say, say a little bit more about that, or if you want to restate some of that, um, about this maybe shift towards collaboration or towards more collaboration. Yeah, it's uh, generational. Um, I'm an old guy, relatively speaking, here in, in the room. Um, my experience within organizations and bureaucracies when I was coming up um, in the 20s and 30s is, you know, it's just like, you're lucky to have your job. Now do a good job. If you, if you want a good job, do a good job. Don't ask a lot of questions. Just head down and bust it out, right? And that's always been kind of like the the operating system that uh, I've, I've worked under, I've managed under up to a point, which the point was probably about 10 years ago when um, millennials started uh, coming up through the ranks as well and questioning, you know, that culture of, you know, they started asking a lot of questions, just let's put it that way. And the understanding is that they wanted more, not only more access to the decision-making process. They wanted more access to the rationale behind the decision. And they also wanted um, empower, they wanted you know, power to contribute to making those decisions, which is fundamentally like not um, how traditional organizations, bureaucracies are structured. There's, there's command and control, right? And then they hand down um, um, uh, the strategy for the, the team to execute. And, you know, the thing that was really interesting for me that I mentioned right before going on air as a consultant that's been bopping around to all these tech companies that have founders that are millennials, um, that have a majority of their employees or millennials or younger was this expectation that I, as the kind of plug and play chief, whatever you want to call it, or CMO, was this understanding that we were doing weekly one-on-ones. And I was like, what's a weekly one-on-one? -on -one? It's like, well, it's when you sit down with every member of your team for 30 to 45 minutes and they tell you what's, what's going on in the world and they ask you questions. And I'm like, huh, awesome. Okay, <laughs> I've got 14 people on my team. That's, that's a half an hour times 14. That's, you're, you're asking me to take like almost a whole day out of my week. And they're like, uh-huh, yeah, that's right. And I'm like, <laughs> interested. <laughs> and so that always, that put me down the path of what's the intent of these meetings and how can I better you know manage them so that everybody gets the most out of them at the same time, understanding the culture that it was coming from and, and the need for me to change. But the, what's driving this conversation is just like that culture of uh, the generational culture of wanting to be involved, um, wanting to have a say um, and, and wanting to be empowered at a leadership level um, can work really, really well for startups and early stage companies, but can also be debilitating. So, I, and, and as you said, Ryan, we've seen both of those things and to properly manage that level of involvement between, you know, leadership and the rest of the team is crucial in my mind. Yeah, totally crucial. I, I think too, you know, Mike, I, I definitely feel you on the the generational piece of it. I also think in some ways, software is inherently a industry that relies on collaboration pretty heavily, particularly early age startups, because a lot of them are really flat organizations. And frequently your founders are not native leaders. Your founders are product people. Your founders are market people. They're not necessarily people who are natively leaders who have been leading other companies they find themselves in those situations of leadership by virtue of their idea more so than virtue of their talent set. And so when that happens, and you also see these organizations that are young and very flat, and when they're very flat, no one is necessarily standing up and 
being the most decisive person in the room, there's just a lot of collaboration happening. And again, to your point early on, sometimes I think that's valuable and sometimes that can, that can detract. Um, Especially when you're growing quickly and you're bringing in, you know, senior level people and you've recruited them, you know, and the ex their expectation coming on board is for this amazing opportunity that they're going to, you know, maybe create generational wealth off of. They, they obviously want to be involved. They deserve to be involved. Yeah. Um, and the reason you hired them was because of their experience and their perspective on things. So they, you know, they need to be involved, but how, when, where, when, and why is kind of the, the puzzle. Yeah. Dustin, what's good about collaboration? Well, why do we collaborate in general? Like what's like, what's the benefit here? I know that's a base um, question, but like, like why, like, why do we do it? Yeah. I mean, I think the reason you do it is the, the sum of the whole is better than one, right? So you can get to a better outcome if you harness the, the brain power and creativity of that amazing team you've built. But the only way it works is if everybody's actually aligned as to what problem you're solving or, you know, what that outcome looks like. So <clears throat> I'm all about collaboration. If we have alignment on what we're trying to do, if we don't have alignment and we're still, you know, arguing about opinions without data around what, what's driving this decision, um, then I'm not a big fan of it. I'd rather the leadership go and if it's going to be a, an opinion-based decision, then they make that decision without data and then bring it, you know, bring it back to the organization, back, this is the direction, now we need your help, you know, making this work. Yeah. Um, or spend the time to get the data, get the organization aligned on, this is why we're, why this, why we're gonna make this decision and now collaborate to solve it or execute it. Um, but collaboration often, you know, that's how it starts and it's well-intended, but it, it often will drift up to the point where it is strategy, it is decisions that need to be made without data. Um, it needs to be based on the founder's instinct or insights. Um, reality is it's just a decision that's going to have to be made and there's risks associated with it. And so you can't actually collaborate that with the organization because at the end of the day, if you make the wrong decision and you're the founder, you can't really go back to the group, you know, your team be like, well, that was wrong. You guys failed me or, you know, we did it wrong. It's, it's, you did it wrong. You made that wrong decision. And so I think it feels good to collaborate it, but when it doesn't work, um, it's good. You're going to have to own it anyways. And so it's better for you to own it from the start. If it's going to be one of those decisions that is instincts or strategy, and it's not going to be based on, you know, hard facts of data out of your BI warehouse. I think it's a good, uh, as a good thing to point out, Dustin, that, you know, I do think for the most part, this over collaboration we see when institutions or businesses or leadership teams over rely on collaboration, it's a protection mechanism often, right? Like I don't want to, I don't want to be wrong or I don't want to be disliked or whatever. So if I, if I can distribute this decision amongst eight people, well, then I don't have to be the wrongest one at the table. If this goes South, if, if it goes well, great, we all share in the sec, the success of this. And if it goes poorly, it's like, well, we made this decision team, not I made this decision. Shit. I feel bad about it. Or, you know, I've led us astray. So I, I, I see that, that point of it is a, I think it is frequently a protection me mechanism from leadership. People who aren't maybe confident enough to make those decisions say, all right, if I can distribute the responsibility of this, I can also minimize my risk as a leader. Yeah. So I would say people just need to have that framework going in be like, this is going to be a collaborative decision and this is why. Um, and this is when it's not. And this is why. And just give the organization that framework and then they know what to expect. 
and they understand um, what's coming at them. Because the worst is to not be clear on it and then sometimes collaborate, sometimes not. And then the organizations, you know, if you don't do a good job of selling them into the non-collaborative decisions, then they're just going to kind of revolt against that decision. And that just creates a horrible place to work. So, Yeah. Well, and I think that's another reason why people try to do it too, right? Is they want to bring people along because they want they want their team to to buy in, right? So you collaborate to try to bring people with you because you don't want them to revolt to your point. But when is it overdone, Mike? What is what does over collaboration look like? You know, when you how do you know it when you see it? <laughs> yeah, there's this concept. I think I first heard it um, within the urban planning world. Uh, it's called inclusion friction. And uh, what, it re- what it refers to is basically the more people you include, the greater, well, it's pretty literal, the greater, greater friction that it, it introduces into the system and the slower everything gets or the more work it becomes to get a decision through the system. So the more stakeholders you have at the table, the more inclusion friction you're going to have and the more uh, and the slower that the process is going to become. It doesn't mean it's going to be the wrong process. It just means, you know, to Dustin's point about the appropriate time, recognize, is this a slow burn or is this going to be a fast burn? Do I need to really get to um, a conclusion here quickly? Or is this something that we're really going to, you know, put on the burner and let simmer for a while and let everybody have their say? And if you're a leader, if you're the the founder or the CEO and you've got to get um, a strategy to market quickly, um, then you need to kind of reduce the number of people uh, at the table. If it's something that's, hey, this is going to be our uh, an, uh, a year-long um, push, um, then you can you can bring in more people. And, and similarly, if you know that you're going to have to bring in more people just so people have a sense of ownership um, over this whatever decision is made, make sure you you timeline that out appropriately. You know, if you're going to have a lot of people at the table, it's not going to be a one month process. You're probably going to need a year. I'm just using that for contrast. And yeah. similarly, it's like, if there's a few, only a few people at the table that are empowered, then yeah, you can really rip and roll and get that thing moving out the door. But then you have to take into account, you know, activation and all that other stuff. But the, the concept of inclusion friction and keeping that top of mind and knowing, and people know this inherently, but it's never been in my world, it's never really been named, knowing that the more people you bring in, that the more uh, complexity it adds to the whole, the whole system. Some people are like instantly aligned and able to pull the trigger, no problem. Other people, you know, there's going to be um, more tension, more friction, more politics involved, and it's going to slow the whole thing down. And you just have to take that into account. I'm dealing with that now on like a community related thing I'm dealing with. And it's just like so many people on this steering committee. It's like, all right, how do we, how do we break through this chop it into bite-sized pieces and come up with actionable um, decisions that gets the group moving in the right direction? Yeah. One of the things you just called out, Mike, that I think is important. You know, how do you know it when you see it? And uh, you mentioned varying versions of speed, like how quick things are getting done. And I think from my perspective too, you know, uh, we've worked in many startups. Speed is one of the the greatest assets of any startup, right? The agility of a startup to say, we've got an instinct, we've got a team and we can move and we can move quickly because we're small, because we're agile, because we're intelligent. It's one of your greatest assets. And I feel like over collaboration is kneecapping your greatest strength as an, as an entity by dragging yourselves into the bureaucracy of collaborative, unanimous decision-making and slowing down the process. And then you're, 
you're you're hurting your greatest superpower as a business by doing so. Well, if the whole if the rest of the business is moving at 100 miles an hour and whatever initiative this is associated with is moving at 40 miles an hour, that that's just a recipe for disaster right there. It's right. whatever if it's an important initiative, it's not going to see the light of day. Totally. And that's the definition of tension too, right? Two things butting up against each other at different speeds or whatever, you know, then they're, they're not there. You're going to feel that internally for sure. Um, this, I found this quote and it feels like it fits here, uh, by an author, uh, Nick Tassler. He wrote a book called why quitters win decide to be excellent. And he wrote an article for the Harvard business review called just make a decision already. And this is the quote. It says when faced with two equally attractive strategic options, Timid and less emotionally stable leaders who fear upsetting anyone will let the debate drag on for weeks or months before selecting a compromised Frankenstein solution that both sides can merely tolerate. At the end of the year, the team is moderately satisfied with their moderate impact on a smattering of moderately important objectives. (laughs) The team successfully achieves mediocrity, which is then reflected in the leader's mediocre performance ratings. But more decisive and gifted managers make it clear from the beginning that they will carefully consider both sides of an argument, but will ultimately choose what they judge to be best for the team. They make decisions early on and move quickly to enlist all sides and executing their decision. Some members of the team are not thrilled with the choice, but are quietly pleased to finally have some clarity of direction. Yeah. Clarity of direction. Sounds like strategy to me. It does sound like strategy. So I guess... You know, that clarity of direction piece, well, and Dustin, a thing that you had kind of alluded to is like, what's the risk of not doing enough of this? Like, what's the other side of it, right? If if there's friction and, you know, slowing down and coming to these muddy conclusions when you over collaborate, what's the risk of under collaborating? You talked about having your team revolt if they don't feel like they're involved, but like, what else does under collaboration look like and feel like? I think that's, yeah, the opposite, right? So you're going to have a lack of alignment, and so all of a sudden you'll have 10 different initiatives going to solve the problem in 10 different ways or worse in eight ways that are the same, but people doing work in different tracks. I just got done working with a business that had that going on. Um, so they, they do a bottoms up planning process. You really empower everybody to solve the business problems themselves, um, which is super empowering. Sounds like a great place to work. Um, well, the lack of collaboration across the business units caused multiple people to be working on the same problems. Um, and I know, I believe Google and Amazon actually allow this to happen because they want to see which team will produce the best results. So they do, they allow multiple tracks to go on um, hmm. without the other teams knowing. And I think uh, it's quite unmotivating when you find somebody else is also working on this problem and you were unaware. Um, and so it becomes like a cage match for, for performance, which, you know, that doesn't sound right either. Yeah. But, um, yeah, in a startup, you know, there's two, 300 people working there. Uh, you really can't afford to have two teams working on the same problem and not totally. in, in tandem. So totally, that's, I think what it looks like when you don't have enough collaboration. Well, and I think totally that makes sense. And I think too, for, you know, for operators in that business, if you know that someone is working on something that you're working on it's like an understanding from leadership that someone's work is going to get thrown in the trash. (laughs) And that sucks as an operator, because you're like, look, I I think everything I do is adding value and is important. But if you are accepting the fact that two people are working on the same thing, that means someone's work isn't valuable enough to see the light of day that can't, 
that can't, that's not going to feel good as an operator inside of a business. Yeah. It'd be an interesting culture. It's like, do you, do they think about it that from like, like these, these people are driven by competition. And so it's like, we're going to light their competitive uh, fire and like, let them go at each other. It, it, you know, like, cause I'd be like, Oh, if I saw something like that, that'd be my initial reaction. Like, Oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to, my team's going to kick that team's ass. Right. Or is it like, they don't have the full faith in our abilities to actually make this happen. Sure. My, uh, so a friend who works at a large e-commerce platform, shall rename nameless. Um, and his business was actually acquired. And so he was solving a specific problem with his business. Uh, they brought it in, obviously they thought he was doing a good job. His team's working on building that functionality out. And I think it was a couple of years later, he found multiple other teams also working on the problem that he solved. <laughs> it was super demotivating and he's just like, well, what am I doing? You know? Yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah. Because yeah, I mean, in that scenario, that was like, you know, like his business he had built from scratch and it got acquired by the mothership and it was supposed to be this great thing. And they were supposed to be the solution. And turns out who knows why they bought them. <laughs> just did. Sure. So. Yeah, some of those larger businesses can afford to be redundant in that, and that's still frustrating for the folks that work there. But I think with like you know with startups, and you mentioned it, Dustin, they can't afford to be redundant. Like no, everybody needs to be totally pushing the pushing the needle forward, not uh, not potentially you know that thing that dynamic exists within the ad world. I'm going back to my you know for big big major advertisers, they will send a brief. Uh, a project brief to multiple agencies and have multiple agencies come back to them with work. There's two ways it works. One work is, you know, they all present and, and um, they, the client chooses one where there's an, uh, there's another model where it's like they take the work and it never sees the light of day. They're just like, they, they go through production and everything. And all of a sudden it's just like, yeah, we're not going to do it. It's just, we decided it's not aligned right now. So with that competitive dynamic, that's kind of where I'm coming from is like, oh, we're going up against another agency for this. Yeah. We're going to kick their ass. Totally. I, um, I feel like a lot of, a lot of what both of you have said throughout this is also, you know, it comes down to it comes down to decision-making. It seems like, you know, like leadership making decisions, you either have a lot of people contributing to that decision that you're going to make, or you have fewer people. But to your point, Dustin, it's about setting the parameters. Here's how many people are going to be involved in this decision. I'm going to own it, or we're going to own it, or we're going to take a short time to make this decision or a long time to make this decision. But that over-collaboration piece that we see, I feel like often comes from just an inability to make decisions. We either need more data or we need to bring more people to the table. And I feel like, I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to bring up or what I'm wondering is, is there a way to get better at making decisions as a business or as a leader? How, how, you know, is it just about, to your point, Dustin, setting the parameters, getting the data and making a choice and just seeing where it goes, fail fast, learn from your choice? I mean, that's my formula is get everybody aligned to what success looks like, let them know how it's measured. And then they can decide in their role, how they're going to feed into that. Sure. So that's how I've always done it. Um, and then there's always times where there's like, okay, a decision that needs to be made within that framework. And then I would strategically pick if it was a time to be collaborative, um, or if it was going to require a decision to be made 
um, and, and kind of suss those situations out case by case. And, you know, you want to have collaboration, right? And we're not saying you don't want that. Totally. But there's a time where um, there's really just needs to be a, far less people making the decision because you can't collaborate your way to a decision. So in those scenarios, it's good to identify, okay, the two of us are going to go off and we're going to figure this out and come back to everybody. Yep. So, yep. And I think people appreciate that clarity. And if you outline the rules of engagement to start, um, most people are good to go with it. Like I have that working with Dustin and document, I've shared it with you guys, but if I'm going to go work somewhere, even if I'm going to consult and tap in for three months, I send that out and everybody can read it and they understand like, this is how I make decisions. This is how I use data. Mm. This is, you know, my philosophy around um, how we execute. And so you just write it down and tell everybody, this is how it's going to be. And then, you know, make sure you live up to it and things go a lot smoother. Basically sure. trying to figure it out as they read you and try to get to know you, you know? Right. Especially now that I do mostly like fractional CMO stuff. I don't have like nine months for people to learn how I work. I kind of need to know how I work in a week. <laughs> so it's, it's best to tell them. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's funny. You say, you know, defining what success looks like and how it's measured and then letting everyone figure out how to get there. Like that sounds a lot to me like strategy, <laughs> you know, here's where we're headed. Yeah. And here's how we're going to measure it, where we're headed. It should be anchored in the company's strategy for sure. But that's yeah. just like a framework for, you know, even if you're like running the creative team for the SaaS business, it's like, okay, this is what the message we're trying to do in the market. This is how the business measures that success of that mess of that message. Can you guys be creative in how we execute against it? Yep. Yep. Giving people the guardrails and knowing how to be successful and then letting people go be successful. Yeah. So I mean, the best leaders, you know, the people who work for them feel like they have ultimate freedom. Right. But they also, they know exactly what they're trying to do and how they're measured. And so reality is they don't have that much freedom, but they feel like they do because you don't have to micromanage them. You've given them parameters and you let them execute and they're yeah. measuring and course correcting themselves. Sure. And what feels less like freedom than... 10 people trying to make one decision together, right? Like that, that there's no autonomy there. There's no freedom there. That just feels like, like too many cooks spoil the soup, you know? Totally. Cool. And an excellent, I got a, the thing that kind of helped me see my way through this is I'll, I guess we'll link to it, but this book I'm holding up. If you're watching the video, it's called uh, the art of action by Stephen Bungay. How Leaders Close the Gaps Between Plans, Actions, and Results. Um, and it's based off of, uh, he kind of deconstructs uh, this German general, uh, Clausewitz. Um, he was the first, uh, his crew was the first you know, military in history. He went from command control to mission command and how he used this structure. I won't get into all of it. Um, to defeat Napoleon forces. Um, and he talks about how that's applied now in traditional military, but then he like kind of connects the dots into business where it's like, if the most empowered military are the ones that understand the strategy and are given um, autonomy permission to go work with their own um, crew, their own army, wherever they are, because they know that they know the, the territory the best, they know the enemy the best, 
Um, and they, they are the ones that go out and make the battle plan to snap into that higher level strategy. Um, but this book kind of talks about the gaps that exist between um, uh, actions and plans um, and how you address it. And it gives a, a super helpful, just two page worksheet at the end that hmm. like a CEO or a COO or somebody could just hand off to their leadership team and say, or use and say like, all right, this is the strategy Now you guys go back with your team and figure out how you're going to activate this and then bring that to me and then we'll pull the trigger and let's go. But it just kind of makes, it makes that hierarchy of who's doing what clear without kind of diluting people's feeling, empowering people to feel like they have part of a really important part to play in this, in this strategy. So yeah. the art of action, highly recommended. It's kind of a long read. It gets a little geeky into German military, but uh, at the end it gets worth it. The, cool. the yeah, art of war. I mean, the amount of books that, you know, going back through all of time that have written about leading people and aligning them and getting and getting the best outcome. I mean, it is a massive topic that has been covered totally. over and over. And here we are still talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, and, and I think too, part of the hard part too is, you know, part, I think part of the reason we've seen it done so differently and and so uh so many types of ways both good and bad is also because i do think it's the answer is not always the same everywhere depending on the problem you're solving or the business problem you're solving or the people involved or whatever those things can be slightly different in each place so there's not a there's not a declarative singular answer for like strategically how to accomplish good collaboration it might it might evolve or change even for for a for a team or for a um for a business or, or, or whatever it might be. So uh, a moving target, I guess. Indeed. If you need right help on. with your moving target <laughs> or you need a strategy to help align your team around so that they can collaborate just the right amount and not too much or too little, boy, oh boy, have I got a website for you. It's drmg.co. Or you can send us an email at hi at drmg.co and get in touch with us. Uh, those aligning strategies is exactly what we do for SaaS companies. Uh, reach out if you want to, and uh, we could tell you more about what that looks like. Um, or like we said, go to our website, drmg.co. If you want to uh, if you want to make a show suggestion, you can also use that same email address. It's hi at drmg.co. Tell us something we should talk about. Tell us something we missed today about the concept of collaboration, either under or over, and we'd be happy uh, to read your feedback. Yahoo. Mike, Dustin, anything I missed? That's it. That's good. Right on. Wrap on a heady topic. <laughs> a wrap on a heady topic. I appreciate your heads on this heady topic. Both of you, Dustin, Mike, appreciate your time and your wisdom. And to you out there, thank you for listening and subscribing and sharing the show with someone who might benefit from it. And as always, we will see you next week.